to another edition of to the Mad Max Minute. They're climbing in your window. They're snatching your people up. So hide your kids. Hide your wife. Because this is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. Yes, I did just reference a meme from 2010. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 86, which begins with Eddie catching sight of Iron Bar. And it ends with Max sitting astride a cowhide-covered car. Say that ten times fast. (laughs) By the way, I found a real-life hide-covered car. Oh, cool. Yep. So the opening shot of this minute is the record spinning on the player and Skyfish and Anna are repeating what it says. They say, oh, I'm going home. And it's so meaningful because they think that they are going home in this train. They're unaware of the multiple steps that are going to have to happen in between here. And of course, the record player says, oh, I am going home just to an extra time. Yeah. Hammer home that point. Do you think it was skipping, that it had skipped back a phrase? For the sake of realism, we'll say that it skipped back, but really, I think they just wanted to emphasize that whole thing that the kids believe they're going home. Yes, it was very pointed. Yeah. I'm just glad they chose the phrase, I am going home, instead of, I am going to the library or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's not the typical phrase book type lesson. I have to wonder... The person who put this disc together, they start off with the phrase, hello, you know, good morning. And then the question, where are you going? And then the answer, I am going home. So maybe it came from not so much the tourism board, but the anti-tourism board that wrote this book that they're supposed to be studying from the idea that, oh, hello, stranger to my country, where are you going? And the person hearing that phrase would recognize where are you going? And so they would, of course, respond with, I am going home. The idea that they are going to leave the country and go back to where they came from. <laughs> Transitioning to the outside of this caboose cabin thing, we see little Eddie leaning out the back window and he has found a pair of binoculars. And so he's looking through them. And I like seeing things that relate back to Road Warrior. We had the idea of Max teaching a kid how to operate something that is sort of mechanically musical last time and the idea of an interim between two exciting things and you know this is the return of someone using binoculars to look at something. Yeah, and right down to us seeing through the binoculars mm-hmm. with the circular frame around it. Yep. And through those binoculars we get to see that not only did Iron Bar rise up out of that feces vat he found himself a hand-powered train car thing and he is now giving pursuit to the generator train the visual on this is just spectacular but it does raise some questions so the visual is iron bar pumping on his side of the hand cart mechanism i think it's just called a hand car although it's also known as a pump trolley a pump car a jigger a kalamazoo a velocipede and a drayson uh what was that velocipede velocipede okay well i'm gonna call it a velocipede okay <laughs> or just a railroad car <laughs> as iron bar is pumping on his end he still has the kabuki mask mm-hmm 
and the hair is just flying all over the place. And it's really spectacular. Although, just now, I thought of the question, not but a few minutes ago, that kabuki mask was in a vat of pig poop. Yep. How the heck is it dry enough to be flying all over the place like that? Well, it obviously didn't start out dry enough. It was probably still wet when he started pumping away on that cart. Uh, quick side note, going back to the different things that it's called. It's known in Australia as a Kalamazoo because of the Kalamazoo Manufacturing Company, which basically made those and then sent them out on the Australian railway market. I saw like a velocipede. Yeah. Uh, what's the origin of the term velocipede? A velocipede is any human powered land vehicle with one or more wheels. For instance, a bicycle could be interpreted as a velocipede. Okay, so a velocipede is less of a name, more of a category. Yeah, it was coined by Carl Vandreas in French as Velocipede, I guess, for the French translation of his advertising leaflet for his version of, I guess, like a large wheeled bicycle or something like that. It was back in 1817. Okay, well, ped is like foot. Yeah, it's from the Latin velos, meaning swift, pes, meaning ped or foot, fast foot thing. Okay, a velocipede. Yeah. I'm gonna try and use that word more often in my everyday life. You have fun with that. I'm sure you will. But getting back to the whole iron bar kabuki mask thing. No, when he started pumping away on that thing, that kabuki mask would have still been very wet with poop. But as he works very hard at moving that handle up and down and whipping back and forth, he would of course be spreading moisture and particulates all around him, probably in a nice fan-shaped arc. So if you were to the side of, in front of, or behind him, you would probably get sprayed with poop water. All right. Well, that explains why he is on here solo. Right. No one else is hanging out with him because he just crawled out of a vat of poop. Mm-hmm. Ironbar is supposed to be the leader of the Imperial Guard. Why doesn't he have a vehicle? I mean, I already know the answer. The thing that comes to my mind is that his vehicle was probably parked up where the rest of the fleet vehicles were, and he didn't want to take the time to go up to Barter Town, however they do that, and get his car there, because maybe they just had a Kalamazoo right there that he could jump on. He was giving chase in the fastest way that he knew how. I ask because... This is an incredibly slow... Well, it's actually not that slow. It all depends on how it's geared. Right. It is slower than the vehicles at getting to their prey. Yeah. It's also unbecoming of the leader of the guard. Well, you could look at someone expending physical effort as demeaning in some way. You could also look at it as his enthusiasm for the position is such that he musters his physical energies to just work harder than everybody else around him. You're supposed to work smarter, not harder. Smarter would be finding yourself a vehicle. Well, I don't know if they have a staircase or an elevator or a rope ladder, some way to get between Underworld and Barter Town, but Iron Bar probably thought, okay, what's the best use of my efforts in this exact moment in time in order for me to give chase? Do I take the time to go upstairs, get my car, fiddle with the keys, check the mirrors, make sure the parking brake isn't on, or do I just hop on the hand car and go right now? I definitely agree that that's why he took the handcart, but I think he was wrong. I think it was worth the time. 
to go up top and get his car. Although, in all of the hubbub around the chase, his car may no longer be there. At that point, he may have been presumed dead, so another guard may have had no problem with taking his car. Mm -hmm. And I don't think these cars are any more controlled by keys the way our cars are. No, probably not. Although we never really do get much insight into how they turn on a car. Is it with a set of keys, using those keys to turn over the engine? We never really see that, do we? Not really. No. So regardless of how Iron Bar arrived at the decision to jump on this Kalamazoo, we get another shot of Eddie. He's looking through the binoculars and suddenly Eddie's view of Iron Bar is obscured by a figure who jumps in front of the binoculars. It's very Luke Skywalker in Star Wars looking at the Banthas type of situation. And as Eddie leaps away from the window, there is a barter town guard there and he is reaching in through the window trying to get them. What I like about this moment Comparing it to the final chase in Road Warrior, the guards here, the pursuers here, actually overtake the train pretty quickly, and many of them climb on simultaneously, as opposed to the chase back with the rig, it was a little bit more one at a time kind of a thing. Like, we only have to take care of one foe at a time. Yeah. Here, like three or four of them attack at the same time. I think one advantage that the guards that Auntie has deployed have over the raiders that were attacking the rig is that the rig was defended specifically against the raiders. They had to dismantle the defenders before they could climb on. And even once they got to the point where they could climb on, they only had a couple of people. It was Wes, Bearclaw Mohawk, Bad Cop, and... I think there was one other random Mohawker. There was the other random Mohawker that got shot in the face. Yes. Auntie's forces definitely have a couple things going for them, including numbers. She just has more people mm -hmm. because she has an entire town worth of anybody who had a vehicle who could give chase and were willing to came along. Also, that rig was being driven by Max. It was harder for them to catch up. Yeah. He had control over speed and direction where... The train now, there's no control over direction, very little control over the speed. They're probably going at their max speed right now. Yeah, probably. And they don't get to do the big turnaround maneuver that Max got to do in the rig. Mm -hmm. So when you factor in no guard emplacements to dismantle, no warriors to kill, yeah, you just pull up alongside the train, have your guys climb from the vehicles onto the train, and then you can have one at the back. There's going to be another one that reaches in through another window. Like, there are multiple guards on multiple sides of this little cabin thing. Not that that really changes anything for Max. He disposes of them pretty quickly. Right. Max and Savannah notice that there's a guy at the back of the cabin, so they rush that way. The guard actually does get a hand on Master, though, and he starts to pull. Yes, which Eddie then yells out, he's got the man, mm -hmm. which it was very difficult to hear. The only reason I realized that that was an actual sentence instead of just like yelling childish gibberish, right, was because it was in the script. Yeah. But Eddie, who seems to have taken to master because they're the same size, no formal introduction has been made. He doesn't know who this little man is. He's just the man. Yeah. Which is probably the same as true for Max. 
they don't know who he is. Some of them still call him Walker. Some of them call him just man. Hey, you. They don't call him Max. (laughs) Before Max can get around to the edge of the cabin, he reaches a larger window than the one he was at before. And he reaches in, grabs the frying pan, and uses it to bash the guard on the head. And then he tosses the frying pan to screw loose. So let's see, what are the kids playing these days? PUBG or Fortnite? I don't know which one has a frying pan, but I think it's PUBG. So you must have been playing a lot of that or something <laughs> like that to know that you can use a frying pan as a weapon. I don't know. I'm trying to appeal to a younger generation that doesn't listen to our podcast. Right. I think you hit the nail on the head. This is a great moment. It's absolutely perfect. Max uses his surroundings to do what he needs to do in a very Max way. He's always been like this. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a bit of Max that we've been missing this movie so far. And then he throws the pan to screw loose in a very fluid way. It's not like screw loose yelled out saying, hey, throw me the pan. <laughs> there throw was me the n- idol, I throw you the pan. Right. <laughs> there was no communication there. He just tossed it over to screw loose, who then mimicked what Max had done. Yep. As he catches that pan, there's another guard coming through a different window and Screwloose just hauls off and smacks him in the head. Blunt force trauma to take out that guard. There was something about the way that Screwloose did this. It almost felt like a rite of passage. That perhaps this is a step in Screwloose becoming an adult. Finding his warrior side. Yes. Max doesn't really get a chance to do much more because there is yet a third guard that grabs Max and pulls him away from the window. And this pulling maneuver that happens, it doesn't really work out for either of them because they get pulled away from the side of the cabin by each other. And then Max just kind of falls, luckily for him, onto a passing car. Like it could have been very tragic very quickly. Right. They could have fallen right in front of that passing car and immediately been run over. Mm -hmm. So this car that they fall on is pretty spectacular. It's pretty special. Yeah. It's covered in cowhide. I did find a real life car similarly covered in cowhide. Really? Yes. There was not a ton of information on it, but it exists. And if you are in the right place, you can go see it. It is a Mini Cooper. Okay. And it is in the Mini Museum in Oxford, England. There was no information about why it was covered in cowhide or what year the car was, how they came to acquire it, nothing like that. But I'm sure if you go to the museum in Oxford, England, you'll find out all about it. I think given the option between driving a Mini Cooper and driving the vehicle that Max falls onto. The one that he falls onto just seems like it has a bit more uh, power behind it. I don't know. With that long a nose, it looks like it'd be very difficult to drive. It looks like a wasteland version of the Batmobile from the Tim Burton movies. Yes, absolutely. Just imagine driving that car around town, like in the context of your everyday driving and the types of roads that you drive on. Trying to park it in your parking lot at work would be a nightmare. Being set that far back from the front tires would definitely be tricky. That's exactly the problem. Although, I don't think it's anything you couldn't get used to. No, no, no. All you'd have to do is just alter your muscle memory a little bit and Mm -hmm. be able to handle it pretty well, I think. Yeah. It does strike me as remarkable how similar the body style is of the cow car in this movie in 1985 to the Batmobile, a movie that was made in 1989 
four years later. Oh. And that style of Batmobile remains into the Schumacher films. The long nose, the wide tire base, the cockpit right in the middle. It just is a little too close for me to not pay special attention to it. I think it goes back to when we had the Batminute guys on and we were talking about the idea of an Australian Batman. This is the kind of Batmobile than an Australian Batman would drive. Oh my goodness. It's true. So, so following that logic, Max takes out Australian Batman in like a heartbeat. Oh yeah. So easy. So quickly. This guy that he takes out with the goggles and the wide brim cowboy hat. I don't know if it's just every time I see cowboy hat, I think American, but the guy strikes me as an American. Maybe it's the flamboyant car. Maybe. <laughs> Even though the real life cowhide card is British, a cowhide cowhide card does feel American. Yeah. Garish. That's not to say that that style of hat is only worn by Texans and ranchers in America. I'm not saying No, no. it's, It's the image that is invoked in my mind. Yeah. And that style hat is that style hat in locations like those because it's practical. Mm -hmm. They need the wide brim to keep the sun off of their neck and out of their eyes. Exactly. That's why they are cowboy hats. So we might have gotten a little ahead of ourselves saying that Max takes out this guy because Max falls onto this car and because he's good at grabbing onto things and holding onto things, he rolls off the top and is half dragged half on the car behind it there and the guard that pulled him off the cabin is not so lucky but they do get a really good hold on his jacket yeah the jacket so as the jacket is getting pulled and it's either lose the jacket or lose max max lets the jacket fall off of him yeah he squirms his arm out and then he squirms the other arm out and the guard is left behind with the jacket okay i had a question about that Does the jacket leave Max 100%? Yes. Okay, because there was some sort of flapping fabric left behind. It looked almost like it was tucked into the waistband of Max's pants. Yeah, he's got extra fabric. That's right, he does. He does, he does. Okay, okay, I'm good. So he lost his jacket. Yeah, he lost his signature shotgun. He lost his car. He lost his signature jacket. This is almost like the resetting movie of Max. We're going to take away everything again. But even the stuff in the past that you've been left with after we've taken everything from you, we're going to take that too. Now, it's been a while since we sat down and watched Fury Road. But you might remember at the beginning of Fury Road, he has his signature jacket. And it's taken from him and he regains it again. The important thing is that at the beginning of the movie, he has it in the first place, even though he loses it right here. I think there are some things that are worth ignoring. I think it was worth ignoring this moment when he loses his jacket out in the middle of the wasteland and he's never going to retrieve it. I think it's worth forgetting that so that we can open up the next movie with iconic Max. He's got his jacket. He's got his car. You look like you know something. Fast forwarding to the end of this movie, Max is left behind in a close enough proximity to Jedediah's hole in the ground that he could walk back to it 
and he knows how to get from the hole in the ground back to the train tracks and he knows how to follow the train tracks back along their length. He probably wouldn't go all the way back to Bartertown, but if he feels like he needs to get his jacket back, he knows how to retrace his steps enough to find that jacket again. So if he wanted that original jacket, he more or less knows where it was left off, somewhere next to these train tracks. I'm okay with that, especially because there will be bodies and debris and vehicles strewn along the path, Mm -hmm. he's going to want to pick through all of that. Yeah. Because now he has nothing. He's starting from scratch again. And the entire vehicle fleet follows him past the hole in the ground where Jedediah lives. So it's not like there are people following behind the fleet that are stopping every time a car wrecks or someone falls off. They're too busy chasing. So all that stuff probably mostly left untouched for Max to eventually wander back and find. Although I will counter that with an idea. Dr. Dealgood, his profession is aggressive trading of goods. Aggressive reselling. Yes. If he were smart, he would follow behind the chase and pick through all of the bodies and vehicles that are going to be strewn along the path. That's a good point. And that would also, if he was following everybody, like at an inconspicuous distance, he would also know the location of Jedediah's hole in the ground, which is full of stuff too. Mm -hmm. Which is now unoccupied. Yes. So I like to think that Max got back to it. He could live there. He doesn't need to be a wasteland wanderer anymore. He could live there. Jedediah was successfully raising a child in that location. So it's obviously a safe and relatively healthy location. He could stay there. Yeah. He also knows how to get back to the crack in the earth, which we'll definitely tackle that subject at the end of the movie. We're going to find Max in a situation where his possibilities and options are limitless. Mm -hmm. So that's We're getting ahead of ourselves. Focus back in on Max hanging off the side of this cowhide-covered car. So as Max is struggling to hold on to this car, Screwloose has exited the cabin and is looking over at Max on the cowhide car. And I'm assuming he looks at Max and says, Oh, okay, Max hit the guy with the frying pan. I hit the guy with the frying pan. Max jumped onto a car. You know what? I think I will jump onto a car. And so Screwloose turns and leaps from the cabin caboose thing onto the top of what turns out to be Max's retrofitted camel truck thing. I love the mimicry that we see here from Screwloose. Screwloose doesn't have any examples of male adults. He does have Slake, but Slake is just different. He's different enough from Screwloose that Screwloose might have a hard time looking at him as a role model of a man. So he meets Max, who isn't like anybody else that he has ever met. And he is taking Max, whether Max wants it or not, he is taking Max on as his role model. So he continually emulates him. We get a quick shot of Skyfish and Anna sitting in the window of the cabin and they are just watching Screwloose do his thing. And then we get to see Screwloose slowly crawling along the top of the camel wagon. He still has that frying pan. He's still armed. And we're going to leave Screwloose over there on the wagon because we need to cut back to Max, who has gotten himself up on top of the cowhide car. It's got that Batman-style scoop to the driver's seat, and Max is able to sit up there and just straddle it. Like a saddle. Yeah. 
like he's riding a giant metal horse or something like that. And right below him is sitting the driver wearing the cowboy hat and the goggles and the bandana around his face. And Max just swings down and punches that guy out with one blow. Just boof, lights out. Then, of course, he grabs him, but we don't necessarily get to see what Max does once he grabs the driver, because that is going to happen on Friday. So we're going to put a pin in it here. We're going to come back later. We'll see how this goes, but that'll be later, because on Friday, Max is going to take control of the cow car. Screwloose is going to take steps to commandeer his own vehicle. And before you know it, Instead of just one train against an entire fleet, it will be a train and two other cars, more or less. Kind of? Maybe one and a half car. <laughs> I don't want to get too over-promisey with how effective Screwloose is going to be, but we'll talk about that on Friday. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link Join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for Minute 86 of Beyond Thunderdome. We will see you next time. Ah!